0: So let me tell you a little bit about um, just um, this last season. So I was saying about how, uh, what a tough season I've been in. So I'm, I'm not exaggerating. And I'm not going to tell you everything because it would be so depressing. Um, but one of the things that I had to walk through is that I, um, so I played um, sport my whole life and played semi-pro football. So, which was great, except, when I got in the church, I realized I can't headbutt people, which I wish I could, because it would make ministry a lot easier. Um, but, <clears throat> so I'm wired like that. I'm wired, you know, like an athlete, you know, kind of like you are trained for things. Anyways, one of the byproducts of that is that my, my knee started going, you know, a few years ago. And um, I, so I was literally traveling and my leg would just swell up. One of my legs would swell up so bad. And I was like, okay, in fact, I was here. Um, and I was like, this is not normal. Um, This better not be my normal. And um, anyways, I was living my knee with a dislocated knee. And um, so that's why I was painful. Um, So anyways, long story short is they, they went in and had to do a knee replacement, right? So I had to have a knee replacement. And in the States, you have to get like all this approval stuff if you're not old enough. So it pays to be older, In some ways, to be honest, especially in the States, because the older you get, the more you just there's more benefits that, you know, they don't question your, um, you know, some things. It just pays to be older in some things. And um, anyway, so I had to get all this stuff written up, had a knee replacement. And about three or four months after it, it broke. So the guy put in the wrong size parts. So um, my leg obviously was not working. So I had to go back in for a second surgery. And um, he, again, put in the wrong size parts. And um, so I got a new surgeon, and um, which is another whole process. Really, honestly, the Lord really looked out for me. Just wish he would have looked out for me a little bit earlier than the um, but he, he did. It just, just was different than I planned. Anyways, so I had, I had three knee replacement surgeries in a 16-month period. And this last one that I had, um, the surgeon went in, who's like one of the top surgeons in the country, um, went in and um, said, your leg was like put inside, like crooked, the titanium. So I'm like, okay, well, in America, your first thought goes to lawsuit because that's an American mindset. Um, Not really, but yes. Um, And um, I wouldn't even have the energy for it, to be honest with you. Anyways, so they went in and fixed this. It was a whole ordeal. But during this season... when I was saying like this was a really difficult season, one of the things that I've really had to build into my core is not just spiritually and not just emotionally, but also physically in the sense where your body actually tells you how well you're doing. So let me just say this to you as a leader. I was like going around the world. Like I'm a leader, I'm a builder, I get stuff done. I like to see things get done. Um, You know, it's just been the way that I've been for probably my whole life, um, but the last 30 years very intentionally with it. So in other words, like, you put me somewhere and I'm going to want to build something, right? And um, so I was going and going and going, but my body was telling me, hey, something's wrong here. And I was like, mm, it's all right, you know, I'm okay. And I've met so many farmers up in the north here. I'm not kidding here. This is the real thing. You, you've gotta know this about your people, right? Is that there's a reputation with farmers where they never complain about anything, right? Have you seen your show 999 here? Where they break so many bones. How, nobody's ever seen that show? <laughs> okay, well that's a show that you have on the telly here. And, um, and so I would just go and go and go. and." One of the things that you have to learn as a leader is that, and I would go in and out of seasons where I'd be good at this, but your body is telling you how well you're doing. So I've always known that spiritually. I had to learn it emotionally. I had to relearn it again physically. And because it's not necessarily your at your age, it's the mileage. It really is the mileage. It's actually like how much you go, what you're doing, how much pressure's on your body. And your body is telling you how well you're doing. So one of the biggest gifts that you can give to yourself as a leader is be in touch with your body emotionally, spiritually, as well as physically. And in your, when your body's telling you, hey, this season you need a rest, you need to rest. And I'm going to come back to this because I really do feel like this is so important. Um, sometimes the Lord will tell us to rest for a day, sometimes he'll tell us to rest for a week, sometimes he'll tell us to rest for months, sometimes he'll tell us to rest for years, whatever it is. Whatever it is that God's having you rest in, you want to take the rest that he's telling you to take because you're gonna need that for the season that you're going into. Like, and I realize that that's really hard when you're in the middle of doing stuff. You know when you're in the middle of projects or you're in the middle of where you have a small group going or whatever it is that's happening and you don't wanna break because you don't wanna break the rhythm of it. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You do know what I'm talking about, right? Like and, but I'm telling you right now, it is not worth it. So here's the thing about about building in the church. There's always another church service. There's always another conference. There's always another event. There's always another of those things to come along. There's only one you. And so how you manage you, and if you don't manage you, and if you don't manage your schedule, your schedule will manage you. If you don't manage yourself, then other things will manage you. If, you know, those things are, like, really important to the leader and getting those things down. And I've had, because I I'm I'm, can be a bit stubborn in ways, sometimes I've had to, like, learn things the hard way. Hopefully not so much now that I'm older. And um, that's kind of how it works that I'm getting older as well because I'm still here. So I plan to get older. So the older I get, I want to I grow up. You know, before I grow old, you know what I mean? Like, I want to learn as we go. But I'm telling you, like, your body is speaking to you, and God speaks to us through our body. So, anyways, we can learn that the easy way or the hard way. How many know that? God can get your attention in all kinds of different ways. And um, definitely not fun to have to go through seasons where God's getting your attention, and it's a painful season. Oh, I'm telling you, man. I was, I had to learn a resilience like i i'm like i've just never had to learn before and i hope i never have to learn again i hope that the the new practices that i have put into place i don't have to do that um but you just never know okay so um i'm going to talk a little bit prophetically for the is that all right if i just do that so for us as the church can i just okay so when i was praying about coming here um, I was praying, what I just said to you, I actually veered off quite a bit because I feel like when our, we're together, I need to kind of see who's in front of me and kind of what, what is God saying? What is he doing? Um, but one of the things that I've uh, been asking the Lord about is like, okay, where are we as the church? And what does the, the church look like? And kind of not just now, but what we're coming into. And I'm gonna share a little bit about, of, of that with you right now. Um, there's no way I can go to all of it, but you go ahead and you take it or leave this. But there's some things in this um, scripturally that I absolutely think are the Lord uh, to us as the leader um, and that we need to um, be reminded of. So one of the things that I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about was uh, Cyrus. So Cyrus in the scriptures, uh, is uh, someone who reformed culture. He was known for bringing reformation. He was prophesied about uh, you know, from the prophet Isaiah 100 years before he was even in existence. So he had to hear the prophecies that were actually prophesied about him, that one would come and he would be a restorer, that he would, he would be a rebuilder. He, he, he would bring reformation. So I think for us as the church, we don't just need a reset. We need a reformation. That, that is where we're at as the church. Like, we, we need God to come in and reform a lot of the church um, in order for us to, to be effective to, to reach the world around us. Um, I think our, our DNA of what God's called us to, I think, I think for, like, take you guys as a people, who you are as a people, who this church is as a people. Like, there's a DNA on you as a church. There's a DNA on your leader. There's a DNA with, within your leader and the church, and there's a DNA within that movement. And so where you come from, like I come from a specific group of people. And so um, part of that DNA is always going to be in me. It's always going to be a bit of how I operate. And so um, even if I'm not a part of some things structurally, I believe spiritually that God ties us to people and places, and, um, and that doesn't mean we always have to stay in it, but it does mean that it forms us in ways. Does that make sense? Okay. So I think for us as the church, we, we need, uh, a reformation where I think we like quick fixes. So we say we need a reset or we just need God to come in and realign. No, we don't. We need a reformation. A reformation is totally different because a reformation is where God comes in and he does like what he did in the old Testament where he, before he would, you know, rebuild the the synagogue, he would come in and he would bring a leader in that would actually obey him and that the the house would get cleaned. And when the house would get cleaned, God's blessing would come on the people in the land, right? And so I think that's where we're at as a church. I think that we can, we can operate from methods and methodologies for quite a long time, but reformation actually comes from the place where God reforms things and it brings new life. And I think, I think, um, for this next season and what the church needs to be we need to be reformed in some ways so that we can actually have the blessing of, of god on us right in the way that god does so that we can be most effective i think there's a pressure that's going to come on the church like we've never seen before i think this is scriptural but it is also a reality that we'd like to not acknowledge um there'll be a pressure that will come on the church And the greater the pressure, the greater the church will shine. So, if you look all through church history, the church has actually been the strongest when we've been under the greatest pressure. So, we just don't do well when things are doing well. As the church, we just get really good at being ourselves and building ourselves and our kingdoms. And there can only be one king in the kingdom. And sometimes the kingdoms have to kind of collapse before we realize that there's only one king in the kingdom we serve. And so I think that's what we're in. I think that's what we're going to go in. I think it's going to take a a bit of time here, but also things are accelerating uh, in a way that we've never, ever seen, to be honest. Um, Don't have time to go into all that, but I do have time to go into this. The calling that was on Cyrus was the calling that came from the place of the prophetic voice that was met by the intercessors, and that's what produced the calling that was on him. So it was the, the pro- I think this is where the church needs to kind of be, relying, uh, be aligned in its proper place where we've never really understood how to operate in all of the gifts that God has placed on people in the church. We've never understood the role of the, pro- the apostle. We've never really understood the role of the prophet. We've definitely not understood how they work together with the evangelist and the pastor or whatever, we haven't really because we've gotten so caught up in titles that we've missed actually that this is this is a function of the church that when God calls and brings the church together and when we're operating from that place there'll be a unity rather than a disunity. We're so uh, still too way too torn apart, obviously in the whole of the church, uh, for unity to really do its work. And it's the unity, actually, of the church operating in the gifts that God has called us to do that we'll see the power that we need to see, and I think that will happen in a reformation. Does that make sense? That's a lot in a short period of a few sentences. So, the calling that was on Cyrus, though... Is that it's a model for us of what happens when the prophetic is operating correctly, and the intercessors get on board because intercession in the church. Oh my gosh, I would not have made it in in leading my church for without the intercessors. I'm gonna just the the power of the prayer in the church determines the effectiveness of the church. It comes from the leader on down, but the prophetic operating with the gift of the intercession with the gift of of um, the whatever apostle, prophet, whatever that God places on people, those things uniting together, this is a good example of, of that taking place. So you see it through all of the, the, the time prior where the prophetic word is coming forth. So Cyrus had to hear, like can you imagine, like hearing prophecies about yourself and what you're going to do, and that's what he uh, steps into. And so in Second Chronicles, I'm just going to read you a couple verses here just for context save. Eh? It's in chapter 36, 22, 23. Um, and it says this. Um, it says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it into writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Prussia says, the Lord the god of heaven has given me all kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and uh, Judah any of any one of his people among you you may be uh, you may the lord is god be with him and let him go on up so even even actually daniel prophesied about cyrus so you're talking about you know all of this leading up to this this point but first of what happens and i would just want to give you some things of how god prepared cyrus uh, and actually, the people for what was uh, going to happen, we find in the following book, in the book of Ezra, where this this begins to play out, the 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 call on Cyrus begins to play out. The word comes to Cyrus, um, God moves on his heart. In fact, in verse one of Ezra, it talks about where God moved on his heart, and then we find later in that chapter in verse five. Uh, where it says that God moved on the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and everyone whose heart God had moved on prepared to go up and build the house. So it, it went to the to Cyrus and then it went to the people. And so it's always the promises of God to us. And I think the season that we're in, we have to remember the prob- the promises that God has spoken to us as a people. What are the promises that God has spoken to you as a leader? What are the promises that God has spoken to you as um, a pastor, as whatever it is that you're leading? Because here's the thing, with that pressure and the criticism and the weariness and the disappointment and the discouragement of what I talked about earlier, what I've seen throughout the years is oftentimes leaders adjust the vision according to the pressure that they're under. You don't adjust the promises or the vision that God has spoken to you as the leader just because of what's happening in culture. We do what God has called us to do no matter what culture says. When do we take, you know, our, our direction from culture? When is it that that's dictating to us what God has called us into? So what I love here is it's the prophetic voice that's coming, but then it, and it's the promises. So we need to remember the promises. I can't, say, I can't stress this enough. Write down the things that God has said to you. Habakkuk 3 talks about that we write down the promises and the vision that God has given to us so that we remember it so that we can run with it. So how many know we forget the promises if we don't write it down? I don't know about you, but if I don't write stuff, I write stuff down when I'm preaching. That's because I'll forget it at the end of what I'm done. Like we write things down so that we remember it so that we can run with it. So what are the promises that God has said to you as the leader, especially in this time of pressure? what are the things that God has said to you as, you know, for the the church, for the group that you're leading? Don't adjust that vision due to pressure. You have to be flexible because we are in a blessed are the flexible season. Blessed are the flexible, most definitely, but we don't adjust what God has spoken to us because of the opposition, right? Makes sense though, doesn't it? Because it's like, oh, maybe God didn't really say that. That seems a little bit too crazy. Or that seems like a little bit too big. I actually believe that when God gives us vision, it needs to be so big that we actually need him in order to pull it off. Because if we can pull it off, it's our vision. So it should be way bigger than us. And it should be We're like, oh my gosh, this is not going to work unless God's hand is upon this. So I love this. This is the promises of God. And then God's promise and then he starts preparing the people. But if you look further in Ezra, as they begin to get prepared to leave, we find. And I'm going to give this to you in verse 3. Let me just read it so you have context here. So this is where... um, This is where they're getting ready to do the rebuilding, right? Chapter 3, verse 12 says, But many of the older priests and Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the new temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. Okay. So I think that we are in a season where what God is going to be doing is new. And it is going to be very hard for those, this is nothing new, but this is the season we're in and going, I think we're going into, it is going to be very hard, one, if we're not preparing ourselves for the promises of where God's taking us, but also at the same time that we don't compare it to what we're coming out of. So we're not comparing it to, like, you can say the former church, you can say the former, you know, meeting, you could say the former movement, you could say whatever. But one of the things that kills churches and movements more than anything else is the focusing on what was. Believe me, I come from it. I live it. It's a huge part of what I try to get away from because I know that that is actually a poison to what God wants to say and what God wants to do now. I'm a big believer that you honor where you come from, that you honor what God has done, but then you go forward and you go forward with what God is saying now because that's where the revelation is. That's where the fresh bread is. So how many know revelation is like fresh bread, right? It's like the word of the Lord. It's like fresh bread. But if you eat bread that's 20 years old, that breeds disease. And a lot of times as the church, we get operating in function and, like I said earlier, productivity. And we almost operate from the place of, oh, this worked, so this must work over here. And what I'm saying is I think in this new season of this reformation of what God's going to do is a lot of things will be dismantled to the place where we have to hear what is God saying for the now. Because that's where the revelation is. That's where the fresh bread is. That's where new life is. And so it's, it's not easy. Because it's very hard to rebuild. Especially from ruins, so to speak. It's very hard to kind of, you know. Nobody wants to start things over. Nobody wants to. We like when things work, you know what I mean? It's, real, it's hard to actually let go, especially when things worked in the past. And my encouragement to you as a leader is to, to hold things loosely. Hold things loosely, because I think what God's doing in this season, in this upcoming season, is that he's going to change in a lot of ways in how we do church, and how we are the church, and how we'll reach the lost. And how we'll interact with people. It's going to look so different you guys. And I think God's doing that. Because again it has to get to the place. Where God is the one that gets all the glory. Where God is the one that's talked about. Too much of the time. Like we encounter something. We go away talking about that worship leader or that, you know what I mean, or that, we, and God gets lost in the whole mix. It has to be, one of my favorite verses is somewhere in the Bible that I can't remember right now, but it's somewhere in there where it talks about that God has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. You know that scripture? Oh my gosh, I love that verse. I, it's like, I want that again. I want it to be like, only God could do this. Like, only God could build this church. Only God could bring all these people. And here's the thing that I think is going to be fantastic about this next season, is people are going to be so desperate because they're going to be in so much grief and so much loss. And I'm not just talking about grief from loss of life. I'm talking about grief from loss of everything. Loss of, um, you know, income, loss of businesses, loss of way of life, grief is very vast, it's very expanding, it's massive, and people are in grief right now, whether we know it or not, we're living in grief, and when you're in grief, you're more open to the the gospel, and when you're in loss, how many know, like you just tend to be like you need some hope, and I think the world around us is way more open than we give them credit for, And so how we reach them is going to be different than what worked before because they're not going to be interested in that. And you know why they're not going to be interested in what we can produce is because none of that's attractive to them. What's attractive to them is not how we look, not what we drive, not even, you know, like how perfect everything is. What's attracted to them is the hope. There's hope outside of my circumstance. The gospel is a gospel of hope, and that's what we carry. And when things, if you just, you know, kind of get through all the other stuff of what we do, what it comes down to is that we're carriers of hope. You know what I mean? We're carriers of a gospel message that changes people's lives inside and out, and I think people are way more open. I can't tell you how many of my friends have called me in the last several months, desperate as anything. Um, and don't know the Lord, have no context for the Lord, um, but they, they, I'm their context for whatever they think God is. You know what I mean? Not that I'm God, you know what I'm saying, right? Um, but um, they're just so open, because they're all going through so much loss right now, and everything that they do doesn't work. And so I, I don't think that's about me. I think it's about the times that we're in. And so the thing that caused so many people to miss out on the reformation that Cyrus was a part of and built, were, were the people that were so stuck. And this is how we have to do it. This is, but it doesn't look like this, or we used to do it like this, or the music used to sound like this, or we used to do it for this long. Or we, Do you see what I'm saying? Whatever it is, it's always the old that will keep us from seeing what God is doing in the now and what's coming. So we honor it, but we've got to go forward as the church. We've got to go forward in what God is saying now. And I love this in, in, in the beginning here where it says that God moved on Cyrus's heart. One of my prayers in this day is, see, I don't think um, many of the people that we're going to see that are going to be leading the church as a whole aren't even saved yet. I think God is going to move on people. He's going to move on us again. He's going to move on leaders again. He's going to empower us again in, in, in ways that we have not seen. It will not look like you know, the things that we've encountered, which I think we've encountered. And if you've been around any, the church any amount of time, I think what we've seen, I think what I've seen in my short life is pretty, pretty amazing, actually. I think we are rich, rich people. And, um, but I think, um, again, one of the, the detriments to God moving in great power is trying to make it look like what happened before. So it's never about the manifestations. We know that, right? It's not about the manifestations. It's about what God's changing in us inside out. So this will look very, very different in how God is going to move upon his people. And I love this. that It says that God moved upon the heart uh, of Cyrus. Another translation says that God stirred his heart up. So you know those times where God just stirs us and he just starts getting us excited about things and we're like, you just, we just know God's doing, that's, that's happening. That's coming because before reformation, that's, it always comes from the ruins. It always comes from the ashes. It always comes from the hard places. It's basically, it basically comes from the places where we're at the end of ourselves. And I think that's part of what, um, what God was doing on Cyrus. I think that's part of what's going to happen on here. So that God moved on his heart. And you have to remember, he's stepping into chaos. He's going to step into a, where obviously the people have been in bondage for a really long time, have a bondage mindset have, uh, they don't understand freedom or what that looks like. He's stepping into chaos. He's stepping into having, a lot of people have opinions, obviously, because a lot of people won't follow him. And a lot of people um, are so stuck in what was. So imagine having a ceremony of celebration and half of the people are crying because it's not what was. Why the other people are so excited because they can't wait to see what God's going to do now. Can you imagine? <laughs> like seriously, like that's just like crazy to to think that but I do think that's what we're coming into but it says this that 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 God prepared Cyrus now I think we're in a season I think we're we've been in a season so if you haven't known this yet then I'm I'd be surprised because I think God has been preparing us I think we've been in a season where we're part of having a little bit of change in the last few years that God has been preparing his people for this next season and if you didn't know that that's okay Um, but jump on the bandwagon because you do want to ask God where he's preparing you now for this next season so a lot of times we're like God just give me more of your power just give me more of your power but we're not actually preparing ourselves to carry the power that God wants to give to us so, in other words, one of my prayers that I pray—I pray this almost every day—is, Lord, let the let the inside of my reality be bigger than my outside responsibility. Let the inside of who I am as a person. So, here's the thing: like God will anoint us and God will gift us, but how we handle that is our gift back to God. So, I don't think people blow up because of the anointing. I, they blow up because they weren't ready to carry what it was that God was wanting to put on their life. Do you understand? Like, they were not, so they did not prepare themselves and get ready for it, and they didn't stay on top of that. That's why so many people do implode. So here, um, God prepared Cyrus. So a couple of uh, mistakes, I think, that leaders make within this context is, one, we're always looking for what we want or what we think we want. Cyrus was having to encounter that. Um, And we're always trying to, I think there's this illusion, like, well, this This church has this or this, it's like almost internet envy where this church can do this or this leader has this gifting or, uh, you know, the grass is greener, that sort of thing where we're always thinking, well, it'll just be better over there. Or if I could just lead there, then everything would be perfect. No, it wouldn't actually, because if you can't make it great where you're at, you probably can't make it great where you're going. Like that's a huge kingdom principle. Kingdom is stewardship. Whatever you have in your hands today determines what you get down the road. So, what does God put in your hands today? And I think so much of the time we're always looking to what we wish we had, what we could do, or if we could be like that leader. No, like what does God put in your hands today? This is part of preparing yourself. The steward, your ability to steward that is actually what determines what you get down the road because God is all about entrustment and kingdom is all about multiplication. And so in order for God to multiply things in and through us, we have to be prepared. We can't look at everybody else and what everybody else has. we got to see what God has put in our hands. The second thing is we cannot, as the church, devalue or like what I just said, adjust what God has spoken to us. So what has God said to you? Those two things I would be really on top of right now. I would keep focused on where God has called you I wouldn't get caught up on, on internet stuff or, you know, like, so I'm just telling you, the people in the church are doing this. People in the church are watching church around the world. And they're, the, the, what the pastors aren't understanding is they're, they're not understanding that those aren't their sheep, so you're feeding people that aren't your sheep. But, and scripturally, this is, this is, gonna, this is important. Because the truth is, as the pastor, as the shepherd, we're, our, we're called to feed the sheep. That's our, you know, we're called to lead and feed the sheep. So envision the people and feed the sheep and take care of who God's called us to. We got sheep, you know, not the smartest animal, running all over the place, you know, trying to get fed by all these places, but never growing up. Because the truth is, you don't grow up by what you hear, you grow up by what you're doing and how you're living your life. So we're actually crippling ourselves in, in other ways. So we as the church, we have to model that consistency, because consistency is what builds equity, and it's consistency in actually showing up and being faithful to what God has put in our hands here. So one of the hardest things for you as a leader right now is that you're gonna really have to have to remember What does God put in your hands sticking to the vision and not adjusting that vision when people are trying to pull you into all other things and what people are saying, but this works and this works and look at what's happening now. No, you have to hear what God is saying for you and for what you're leading right now. And you have to stick to that and not allow the people to dictate the vision, but allow the Lord to dictate the vision. Now that's so simple and that's something that's not new, but I'm telling you that is a real challenge in today's culture. And especially with the internet, it's my love-hate for the internet, is because it's just so not true uh, to life. And so, but, you know, people have this idea about American church culture. It's so ridiculous because, when I am American, so I can say this. But the average-sized church in America is 80 people. But people think of the American church as mega church. Now I am in a mega church, so that kind of loses some of my equity there. But the truth is, that's a bar- that's a rarity. The average sized church in America is eighty people. Okay, so I had a church of about 350, 400 people. That was considered a really good sized church, and um, but the mega church is is a phenomenon. And how many know that's big things sell power cells. It's those things that get people's attention, but it's not the reality of what's happening in culture. Now, what we're fighting in as leaders in the church and leading in the church is that the people in the church, like I said earlier, just want to watch church because it's easier, right? And there's also a, there's a real fear thing that people are having to deal with, and we can't undermine that because for a lot of people, that thing is real. And, and I have a lot of respect for that And I think we should respect where people are coming from and the things that they need to work through. But I also know that we do not do well without community. So however we as the church have to figure out how to do community in this next season is vital to the health and the growth of the church. Because the way that community has to look and what we've looked at it before as being successful is not how it's going to look in this next season. Does that make sense? So I think smaller is actually going to be the most powerful. I think we're probably almost going to go back to an Acts 2, Acts 4, chapter first church, uh, you know, where God's going to, you know, it's just, yeah. And part of the reason why that needs to happen is so that discipleship can happen on a deeper level because we have celebrated the larger church rather than the deeper church. And discipleship is the only thing that happens in community. Is that not true? So as leaders uh, sticking to that, I know that that's such a, oh my gosh, it's almost like a cliche. And if I would hear that, I'd be like, well, that's true. But the truth is, I have to, when I'm leading something, I have to stay focused on what God has called me to do. I'm not responsible for what somebody else is doing down the road. Do you see what I'm saying? And staying focused in that, in what God's called you guys to do as a church and as a family. What I love about with Cyrus is that he was not only appointed by God, but he was anointed by God. I think this is a key element to what we've missed in the last few decades is that one, where God appoints, God anoints. So there's not a lot of talk about anointing. There probably is more in your stuff because you're Pentecostal. Pentecostals love the anointing. And and I love the anointing because actually it's the anointing that works, isn't it? Um, But if we read in Isaiah 45, we actually find where God... Um, takes uh, Cyrus by the hand, and when he takes him by the hand, he walks him through how he's going to lead him to bring reformation uh, to the people. So the the first thing it talks about, that where God uh, appointed him, he anointed him. Now let me just bring a, a clarity to this of what's happening here. First of all, in the context of what's happening during Cyrus's uh, period, is that the Lord's shocking the people, because he wouldn't even use the word anointed, because By calling a Gentile anointed would be blasphemy in in its greatest form. The Hebrew word is actually "mashiach," and it comes from the word anointed. It comes from the word, um, actually, Messiah. And there was no way um, that this would happen that wouldn't bring offense. So here, as God does, when he raises somebody up, it usually offends a lot of people. Is that not true? Like, God always picks people we wouldn't pick. But Cyrus was appointed by God, and he was anointed by God, which... There's no way, and I love this about God, there's no way that we're called to do the work of God without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God always leads us into where God calls us. But it's the anointing that makes the difference. So there's lots of gifted people. Every one of you in this room is gifted. Not every one of you is gifted to lead this church or anointed for it. There's a lot of gift. Everybody has gifts because, like I said earlier, God is the great gift-giving God who gives gifts to his kids. It's just who he is. But in the church, we have actually confused gifts with anointing. And we have confused where oh just because somebody's gifted then they should be able to do what they want. And what we've seen is we've seen a decline in character. Uh, Just look throughout the whole of the church. If you do you'll see we've had a lot of leaders implode. A lot of leaders blow up. And a lot of leaders not do well whether emotionally, physically or spiritually. Because um, it wasn't that people didn't know that they had weaknesses and that they didn't they needed help. It was that they were almost untouchable because of their gifting. So, in other words, we have a really unhealthy thinking, especially in the more charismatic churches, where a gifting overrides character. And when that happens, there's an implosion that's about to take place. So it doesn't matter how, what gifts we have. Again, if we don't have the character to sustain what God has called us into and to focus on someone's gifts rather than anointing, we won't see the power that we need. So what we've done and how we've confused this in the church is that gifts will maybe fill a room, but it won't break uh, the yoke. Someone's gifts might get a lot of people to come to something But that's not what's going to bring freedom to the people in that room. Do you see the difference? It's the anointing that breaks the difference. Now the anointing comes by the wilderness. The anointing, the oil of God, comes when it's pressed. The anointing of God comes from the place that we would actually never pick to be. And that would be the wilderness. That would be the crushing. God gifts I think everybody but only he only anoints a few and it's usually the people that are willing to be crushed to the point where it's God that comes out and there's more power there's always a price tag to power like people are always wanting to know what the secret is to power the secret is to power to allow God to do whatever it is that God wants to do with you and if God takes you through a crushing season then you yield to that the crushing is actually what You know, allows you to understand that it's not about your greatness and it's not about your gifting, but it's about the God inside of you that works through you where his power comes and changes everything. And nobody wants to sign up for a crushing, nobody wants to sign up for the wilderness. We want to go from glory to glory, and we don't understand that to be able to carry the anointing and the way that God needs his leaders to carry the anointing, you have to be able to go through the wilderness. Every great leader, in fact, I did a whole study a few years ago. One of the studies I did, well, what were the, gr- the differences between the men and women who changed all of, of church history? You know the one defining mark? It wasn't, it wasn't their gifts. It wasn't their standing place in society. It was the obedience that they, were, they did to God. It all came down to obedience. It it had nothing to do with all these things that we celebrate and think are most important. Like, yes, it's important for somebody to have the gifts and what they're doing. But the truth is, what's most important is a yielded soul to the Spirit of God. In fact, your reliance upon the Holy Spirit will determine your effectiveness in ministry. Let me say that again. Your, uh, your Your choice, ongoing, I believe, your choices to be completely reliant upon the Spirit of God will determine your effectiveness in the kingdom of God. And I, I, there's a dying in this. There's a crushing in this. There's a wilderness experience that honestly is, is we just want to bypass we like quick fixes. We like to just get, you know, empowered. We like somebody just to pray their mantle on us. But I'm telling you, the defining mark on people that are anointed by God is that they go through these times of just being crushed. And God works all that stuff out of them that has to get worked out of them. You know why? So that they can be trusted more with his, with his presence and with his glory. And that they won't take it for themselves. Because that's the thing that God will not share with anything, anyone else. Will not share his worship. He will not share his glory with another. And there is a there is a massive difference between um, a crushing and what we bring on ourselves. <laughs> so some people will be like, "Oh, oh my gosh, I have so much warfare right now." And I'm like, "No, I'm pretty. Ba- I'm pretty sure it's just your bad choices." So there is a difference between <laughs> warfare and w- we've so confused this in the church. There's a big difference between warfare and poor choices, right? If you're making poor choices, those are the consequences of your poor choices. The devil gets way too much credit. That's, that's not warfare. That's you being dumb, right? And you're having consequences for that. Well, it's the same thing as in, I think, um, a good example of the crushing. It's not coming from my bad choices. It's coming, the more I say yes to God, the more I feel like I'm being pressed by God. And we have this unrealistic sort of, it is American dream sort of belief system that we've brought into the kingdom of God. Thinking that the closer that we are with God, the easier things should get. Uh, How guilty are we are to think, oh, I just went through this tough season. So, of course, my next season is going to be easier. And as leaders who need to be entrusted with the very presence of God, we will go through those times of crushing and the wilderness to where the, God is dealing with that stuff within us that won't get dealt with otherwise. There's no way around the wilderness. If, I'm pretty sure if Jesus had to encounter it, we're going to have to encounter it. So if we're like, I just want to be like Jesus, I just, it's always cracked me up when people are like, I just want to be like Jesus. Well, really? Because um, Jesus was rejected, and Jesus was hated by his own family, and Jesus was turned on. He was betrayed. He was, you know, all of these. So if our lives are looking like Jesus, we should be encountering some of the same things that Jesus himself encountered. That's how I know I'm on the right track. And has it not been where we're like, well, the more that I follow Jesus, it should get better and better. It should get easier and easier. No, <laughs> I think what gets easier and easier is that we just realize we don't want to take the long route. You know what I mean? Like, let me just get this over with. Yes, I yield. Yes, I surrender. I'm dead serious. We just don't want to take the long route. Over 350 times in Scripture, we find the word desert comes from the word, actually, midbar. Uh, it's actually one for every day of the year. We have a reference in the scriptures to the word desert. It's a huge part of scripture reference. It means to be wild, abandoned, destitute. There's a theme, there's a thread that's on those throughout the scriptures that God poured his spirit out on. Cyrus is one of them. Um, where God, you know, where they had to go to the places that were uninhabited. They had to go to places that they probably never would have picked. But this is where we get formed. I mean, how many have ever, like, been through a really difficult time and that you come out the other, other side and you're like, I just, there was something about Jesus I encountered that I just didn't know about before. Like, that it, it's just, I think, part of how God, uh, you know, trains us is he trains us, you know, in those dark places, in those hard places. So I think we've been in a season in the church where gifting may fill a room and it might entertain a crowd, but what we need is the churches, we need the anointing. And that means we're gonna have to allow ourselves to go through things um, so that we are filled with the anointing of God for the things that God calls us into because it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And if there's anything that's happening right now in culture and society, and everything's gone up, by the way. So what was happening pre-COVID, what's happening now with domestic violence is way up. What's happening with, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction and everything's on the way, because everybody's been trapped. And, and so every, all that pressure has produced, you know, not just good things, it's produced a lot of hard things as well. And so we as the church, we have to be an empowered people. And it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. And I love this how God calls Cyrus because he says, this is the one that I put my right hand. I love how he promises that he's going to subdue nations. He's making him promises. And these are the promises that I think we have to hold on to in this season. Is that God is making and makes promises to Cyrus. If you read it through Isaiah chapter 45, where he says what he's going to do. So there's seasons that we go through where I feel like God will show me this is what I'm going to do. And there's other seasons where it's just a lamp into my feet. And I think we are as the church, we're still in a lamp into our feet season. So you know what I mean by that? So let me just say that what I mean by that. So in uh, Psalm 119, it talks about where God is a lamp into our feet and he's a light into our path. I think we've been in a lamp season where he's just showing us the next step. So when God's just showing us the next step, there's a reason why he's not showing us the light. So oftentimes we think, God, just show me the whole picture. Just show me what you're going to do. Show me where you're going to take me. Show me what's going to happen to my family. We're asking for God to show us the light. This is what I kind of learned in this, is that if God's not showing me the whole picture, there's a reason for that. It would probably take me out. It's his mercy. It doesn't feel like mercy in the time, but if God's not a light into our path there's a reason for it so we're in a lamp into our feet season I think is the church I think God is forming people and preparing people in the dark places I think that preparing yourself and part of that if it's been tough for you like we just did some of that like that ministry a lot of you guys are like just let me just tell you how you raise your hands you do this this is how you raise your hands you're like yeah I need prayer I need prayer down here this is but it's been dark it's hard it's wearisome there, you know it's 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 difficult in so many different areas but God has a plan and God is on the move and just how I love how he called Cyrus. I love the picture of it, how he promises he's going to go before him and he's going to remove. But I love that he also tells him that he's preparing him in the process. So when Cyrus began, he was actually only a regional leader. So let me just say this, because this is important. I think it's not where we start, it's where, where we finish. And first of all, as a leader, people will never remember how you start. They will remember how you finish. People always remember how we finish as leaders people always remember how we walk away that's why i mean i've said for years like i could be in a meeting and pray for i could for the dead to come back if i die please don't bring me back but the the <laughs> but if i did that and you know people started coming back from the dead but if i walk out the door and i slap somebody in the face on the way out that's the only thing people are going to remember so people remember how we treat them. People remember who we are. People remember how our encounters with them way more than our gifting and what's happening around us, and that's what people are attracted to. But what I love about this is that God's saying he's, he's preparing them, and I think part of our preparation process of what we've been in is that God is working out stuff in us that we thought was really important. The things that we thought were really important don't tend to be so important anymore. The things that we thought were that we, like the highlights, I think God is kind of you know cleaning house on some of those things. But I also think it's, a, it's not just a church thing. It's an inward work of each of us. That if you've been in a really difficult season, then you are not alone. God is at work. And God has a plan. And your ability to yield to God and to allow him to form you is what he's after. He's after your surrender so that he could form you and prepare you for this next season. The the word that came on Cyrus's life is that he would subdue nations. And a lot of nations were out of covenant with God. I think a lot of things are out of covenant with God right now. We're going to see that in the coming years. But the thing is about being in covenant with God is that when we're in covenant with God, we're under God's protection. And Cyrus had God's protection. It was 16 nations that Cyrus would go on to bring reformation to, but when he began, he was only a regional leader, so again, it's that message of what's in your hands today, because what you have today, and how you steward what God has given you today, actually determines what God gives you down the road, and it's not just you as an individual, it's you as a church, and it's you, it's actually to to the bigger picture as well, is that our faithfulness Especially when we're when we're having to be in a time of wilderness, we're having to be in a time of pressure, we're having to be a time of you know the wilderness looks different for everybody. By the way, your wilderness will not look like my wilderness. It's different for everybody. It's not a competition. Let me just say that. I mean, it's like it. The wilderness is not a competition. Hardship is not a competition. Pain is pain um but here's the promise and sticking to the promises of God that as God prepares you allow him to form you and prepare you for this next season I love it that it, another promise God makes him is to loose the armor of kings which means uh, literally to just take uh, off the belt which meant it kind of represented his weapons and and warfare and that God is saying hey I'm going to go in front of you and I think in this next season we've got to wait for God to speak we've got to have the courage to wait for God to speak before we before we go forward what is God saying how is he saying it what does it look like and then we begin to move because I believe in moving I believe in building but I also believe waiting is a huge part of following God and we don't like to wait because we confuse waiting on God with doing nothing and waiting on God and doing nothing are two totally different things and as the leader, your ability to wait could actually save a lot of hardship for yourself and also for the people that you lead. Does that make sense? So the call on Cyrus is, I think, part of what we're walking into. There's so many promises within there that God says that he's going to remove on his behalf. A lot of them have to do with God preparing him and forming him and him becoming the leader that he was to be so that he could bring the reformation necessary. And one of the final promises that God makes over Cyrus is that he said, I will strengthen you. Now, let me finish with saying this. If you don't get your strength from God, you'll get it from other stuff. And 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 too many leaders are um, not very good at getting power from the right places. So that part of you that um, tends to be self-reliant or that part of you that's not getting what you need from God and you're getting it from other things, that thing will implode you because it it's not meant to sustain you. I think David's a good example of this when David, after giving himself, you know, to all the his mighty men. Remember that in the Bible? Were David's mighty men who were great warriors? And these were men that were actually outcasts. And David picked them and David said, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a place and I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna form you. You're gonna be my great mighty men. If you read about them and what they accomplished and how they they were incredible, incredible men. They also all turned on David. And there are one point where David it says that David went and strengthened himself in the Lord. And I think as the leader, there are seasons that we go through that you have to learn to get what you need from God, just from God. Not going to be able to get it from other people. You're not going to be able to get it from another minister. You're not going to be able to get it from other things. You have to learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And the Bible talks about that even Jesus grew in his spirit man. And I think as leaders, our effectiveness to build into our spirit man, especially as God is preparing you, ask God to strengthen you in your core of your spirit man. And what I mean by that is you have to learn to cultivate your relationship with the Father, with the Son, also with the Holy Spirit as the person who's leading you, but also empowering you. And I think we have to stop referring to the Holy Spirit as more in an it and treating him with the respect as the person that he is. And and I think also as the leader, if I could just say this, I have found, like I am most powerful as a minister after I've been ministered to. Like after I am receiving, so there are things that, and like, you know, I think seasons that we go through where we can't have somebody come alongside and pray for us. But I think the majority of is that you have to have a daily interaction where you really are getting what you need from the lord and everything else is gravy it's bonus it's good it's needed you need the people around you like i told you about like that's that's vital to you making it but also having the spirit of god within you there can be no negotiation on that there cannot be where where you can do this in your own power your own strength your own gifting you know, or position, because position won't actually won't be that much in the coming years. This is only going to be off of those that have chosen to be formed by the Spirit of God and empowered by the Spirit of God. And we know that, right? We can say that. We know that. But if we don't have a practice of it, and if we're not doing it every day, where we're having God empower us and fill us and form us, then the wrong things come out of us and we won't be able to lead effectively. So I'm I'm saying this sort of flippantly, but I'm saying there really is nothing more powerful than you getting filled, and not just getting filled, but allowing God to form you, which means in the wilderness, and God taking the things, and it's just like, almost like, you know, have you ever seen what, you know, the scriptures in the Bible where it talks about, that Um, we're the clay and he's the potter right which is a beautiful scripture reference but if you ever see like pottery that's being made they throw it to the ground and punch it and that's basically God forming us as like it's like sometimes it's like that and God's forming it you got to allow God to work that stuff out of you and the more you fight it I don't know why the Lord keeps taking me back to this but he is I think um, is that you really want to yield to that and you really want to get rid of stuff that's that's holding you back because it won't it won't do well in the coming season, so anything that's holding you back you got to get rid of, but also being filled with the spirit of God. So, I'm a I'm a big believer to pray for myself. So I know this sounds kind of funny, but I pray for myself every day, several times a day actually. And as a leader, you should be praying for yourself, and you should um, uh, have your times where you're just sitting with the Lord, just being, and so I'm very intentional with this. And every leader is different. But I'm just going to tell you, the thing that makes the difference on anything, it's that. It's, the, it's God's Spirit on me and in me and through me. And because um, we only know so much. But how many know God's Spirit can change everything? And going into this next season, it is the anointing that will break people into freedom. And it is the anointing that people are going to need more than anything else will be our gifts. It will be the anointing and the spirit of God. And that's what will be attractive. And that's what will people will, will do whatever to be a part of. Right? That's what we need. So I think that reformation is coming. That's a lot in a short period of time. But to just kind of on you. So I'm just giving you like some main points. Because I think that's part of what's coming. Does that make sense? I would encourage you to read Isaiah 45. And I would encourage you to read Second uh, Chronicles 26. And into Ezra. Because that will give you a picture It's like a prophetic picture, I think, of what we're in. Let's pray over ourselves for a minute. Just put your hand over your heart. Lord, we, just, uh, we thank you for your presence uh, that's here, Lord. We thank you for being with us today, Lord. Thank you for being here. Lord, thank you for encouraging your people. Now, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just take your word today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would have it go deep within us. I pray, Lord, that it would form us, that it would speak to us, that it would challenge us, that it would encourage us. I pray, Lord, that even as each person leaves here today, Lord, Lord, that you would um, remind them of things said today, things that you're wanting to do in them, and, Lord, and through them. I pray, Lord, that you would give great courage, Lord, In this next season, uh, for us to lead with a confidence, Lord, of what you have spoken to us, the vision, Lord, that you give to us. I pray, Lord, that you'd give courage where courage is needed. I pray, Lord, again, Lord, I pray, Lord, that your voice would be the loudest.